So we're in this series called Right on the Money. When somebody nails someone, says, that was right on the money. I mean, some guy can be shooting an arrow at a target, and when he hits the bullseye, what do we say? Right on the money, right? We say, that was right on the money. How did you do that? Because we know when it's right and when it's perfect, it is just right. We need to be right on the money about money. Being right means being righteous about the money. Being right means being biblical. So we talked about the danger of desiring to be rich because it leads us to many temptations and people fall. In fact, the Bible says if you desire to be rich, you're going to fall to some temptations. We talked about that and we said we don't want to be, we don't want to have an insatiable desire for wealth. We want to have a desire for wealth so that we can build the kingdom of God and use that money purposefully and rightly. We said esteem it righteously. So that was the first sermon. And then last week we talked about tithing. We had a sermon on the amount. There are two kinds of giving. The Bible mentions these two forms, tithing and free will offerings, or what we call sometimes love offerings. The tithe is 10% of your income, and the Bible says it is holy unto the Lord. And the word holy means consecrated or separate. People say, well, I make a lot, so it's harder for me to give. No, it's not. What's 10% of $10? A dollar. What's 10% of $100? It's $10. What's 10% of 1000 It's $100. If you can't give from $10, you're not going to be able to give from a $1 million because it's really not about the money. It's about what is separated to the Lord, and 10% is to be separated to Him. And here's what we know about the tithe. And I'm just kind of reviewing. First of all, the tithe is what we would consider to be undesignated. It's an undesignated offering. So I don't take a tithe and say, well, we're going to put it in the love offering envelope and give it to the children's ministry. We don't do that because the tithe is unto the Lord. He said, bring the tithe to the storehouse that there might be meat in my house. Literally thousands of priests served in allotted times at the temple. And this was a big ministry operation, far greater than what we think of in the local church. Well, in the New Testament church, that is the storehouse. That's the place where ministry is promoted and prompted and we're discipled and all of those things. And so he says, first of all, bring the tithe to the storehouse that there might be provision in my house. And so we know that we take a tithe, we don't designate it. It's not to be used for our personal preference. If we need a new piano, I don't take my tithe check and say piano fund. That's me appropriating it instead of just bringing it to the storehouse. It's holy and it's unto the Lord. And it's not to support someone's GoFundMe account for a mission trip. It's, that's different. And we're going to get to those kind of things. To withhold the tithe, according to Malachi chapter 3, is to place yourself under a curse. Now, we don't like that word, do we? We say, well, that's, that's kind of evil. We shouldn't be talking like that. God surely would not do that to us. Now, I tell you who does that, you do it. You're taking yourself out from under God's hand. And he says to not tithe or to withhold your tithe or part of your tithe, you are living under a curse. And he says, if you bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, I will protect you from the devourer. How many know it gets devoured quickly for not faithful to him? Many Christians even sense a lack of spiritual fellowship with the Lord God simply because they don't tithe 
But it breaks fellowship with God when we don't give to him what he says belongs to him. And if you think God is over-demanding by saying and commanding that we bring him 10% of what he's given to us and provided for us, if you think he's over-demanding, then trust me when I tell you this, if you're not tithing, you're already paying more than a tithe. It's just going somewhere else. Well, how can you say that with all certainty? Because the devourer will come. He may look like the mechanic down at the auto shop. Uncle Sam. I always say it like this. It pays the tithe and you cannot afford not to. But a second form of giving, that's the tithe, okay? A second form is called the love offering, the free will offering. These offerings are separated from the tithe. They're separate. They're different. They're not the same thing. And this is the type of offering that we're going to read about in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And that's why it's so important that I focus on these separately throughout this series right on the money. Paul addresses an offering that they had been planning to collect for more than a year to be given to the poor Christians in Jerusalem. We know that there, there was great pro- poverty among those Christians who were living in Jerusalem. And here we are 30 years later, 25, 30 years later, it's still very bad. In fact, great persecution broke out after the resurrection of Christ. James would tell you, you know, there was a dispersion. The Christians were dispersed. Some were losing their lives. And so as a result of that, the gospel did spread everywhere. What a magnificent thing. Even though it came through suffering, the Lord's purposes never fail. They are always good. So that was a good thing. But read with me what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. Now concerning the ministering to the saints, he's talking about the love offering. It is superfluous, is what mine says, but superfluous... How do you say that word? That's not what it says in mine, but anyway, you get the idea. For me to write to you... In other words, it's of no need for me to write to you, really. For I know your willingness about which I boast of you to the Macedonians, talking about the church at Macedonia, that Achaia, who are really the Corinthians here, was ready a year ago, and your zeal has stirred up the majority. Yet I have sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect, that, as I said, you may be ready, lest if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, We, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. For God loves a cheerful giver. You will become more cheerful and more generous in your giving if you'll begin to put four things that I'm about to mention into practice concerning your giving as well as giving your tithe. Now, is this the tithe I'm talking about? No. 
But all four of these also can be implemented in how you deal with your tithe. But I'm talking about both partly, but mainly I'm talking about the love offering. Generous giving over and above and separate from the tithe. First of all, as I look through verses 2, 3, and 4, there is this principle. I will prepare my giving in advance. I'll prepare my giving in advance. What we read in verse 2 is, you know, they were evidently excited about taking part in this love offering a year prior. In fact, they were so zealous about it, they stirred everybody else about it, up about it. They had a phone calling committee, you know, and they got on the phone and they started calling everybody. Not really, but they started calling everybody up and, and saying, hey, you know, we've got this thing going. This is going to be a much needed offering and we're excited about it. We hope your church will be excited about it. Let's join together. Let's pool our resources together. Let's cooperate together and let's help these poor Christians in Jerusalem who have nothing. We've sent people there. They've checked it out. These guys are just barely getting by. They really need our help. And so uh, they're stirring up these other churches in some kind of manner to the point that these other churches wanted to give. So Paul brings this up. But he has been with the Macedonians. And the Macedonians, we know, were also very, very poor people. They were poor, much like those in Jerusalem. And so poor, they were so poor, actually, we don't have record that he invited them to give in this offering. It's kind of one of those things we're not going to bring it up because we know they can't. So we're not going to ask them. And so they found out about the offering and they demand to give. They won't take no for an answer. By comparison, he says they gave so liberally that they exceeded what the other churches really gave. By comparison... Um, Look with me at chapter 8, verse 1 through 6. Just flip over to the left to chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes... And beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we should receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but first they gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. As Paul and others planned to make their way to Corinth, four things are of concern to him. It's making him a little nervous. According to verse 5, the Corinthians must have, and I'm in chapter 9 now, the Corinthians must have promised a certain amount when the talks of this offering first came about. And then they stirred everybody else up. Well, that's still on his mind now a year later. Uh, Paul's thinking about this. Wow, they've made a pretty huge promise. I hope they can really stick to that. Because we've been boasting about them, okay? So he said they were credited with stirring up. That's the second thing. He's been boasting to the Macedonians. That's the third thing that's on his mind. Been boasting about how, how ready and how excited the Corinthian believers are to get behind this offering and, and to give to this offering. Fourthly, he's concerned that it's been a year since that initial conversation. And as time goes by, sometimes zeal tends to fall and drop off. 
And some of the ones coming to help are going to come from this Macedonian church. They're going to come. Now, we shouldn't think that it's all money, okay? Because people gave substance too. So maybe you need a lot of help to come alongside and get what is needed to get to these poor people. And so he says, some from the church of Macedonia who had nothing but gave so liberally out of, uh, out of what they did have. Now they're coming with me. They're coming to the church that was uh, I've been bragging about for a year now because of the promise they've made. What if they're not ready and they don't come through? Well, that makes Paul look like a fool. And that might break the hearts of those of whom he's been boasting about. And so Paul's got these concerns, and I think they're, they're good concerns. And so he sends these others ahead to... Now he's, he's got this other group going, they're going to prod you to get it ready. Okay, So he's sending them ahead and saying, get your gifts ready in advance. And I think Paul knew something, and he knows something that we know, that good intentions remain as good intentions only unless we have a plan and act on the plan. They just remain good intentions and they're never carried out if we don't act on it in a reasonable amount of time. I think that's true for every one of us as well, even in our own homes, even in our own commitments. We need to have good intentions, but then we need to have a plan of action and then we need to follow the plan of action. We have all encountered times, I think, when we couldn't give probably because we didn't prepare in advance. I bet each one of us has had that happen in our lives any money uh, that we could give if we don't plan in advance, in advance, it gets given somewhere else. It goes somewhere else. But I want to show you, I want to be very practical in this, something that Crystal and I caught on to years ago when we were attending seminary. Here we are in seminary. We're just barely getting by. They've got a building fund. We will never be able to give any substantial amount to that building fund while we're here in seminary on the single income. Unless we do it little by little. So we took an envelope and we put LOFJ on it. And what we did was we would just put money in to an envelope. And it wasn't just for building fund, it was for anything. Or we gave by check and we added money to our tithes. It might have just been $10 a month. I don't remember what it was, but little by little. But over the course of the year, we gave more than we could have ever just sat down and wrote a check out for to that particular offering by giving little at a time or putting back a little at a time. So I, I would say to you, you say, yeah, a lot of times I just don't have anything to give or it came up unexpectedly. Here's what you can do. You can take an envelope, put love offering for Jesus on it, and in a consistent kind of way, you can determine what amount you're able to give to go toward love offerings over beyond, beyond your tithe. That's separate, right? And these are for love offerings, and you put that in there. And then when the love offering comes around, unless you already specifically knew how much you were going to put in there, and so you just wanted to separate it, if, if you're offering under this kind of system, you would just say, how much do I feel in my heart I should give toward this love offering that came up? The Irwins were here. How much should I give to the Irwins? The, this uh, evangelistic singing family. How much should I give? And then you give what you can give according to what you've been able to put back. Doesn't mean you give it all. 
It means you give what you have in your heart to give because you're thinking ahead and you're weighing these things out. Okay, you know Lottie Moon's coming up. So you, when do you start? December? Well, that's a horrible time to start thinking about Lottie Moon. You've got grandkids. You've got Christmas gifts you want to buy for your kids and your grandkids. And how can you do it all? Well, you can't. So you, throughout the year, you're putting money back little by little that you would like to see go to various love offerings. And then you just go to that envelope and you get it when the time comes. If something comes up unplanned, and we find out about a need, a couple needs help with something, and we feel led as a Sunday school class that we're going to meet that need for them, and then uh, somebody brings it up, you say, oh, I wonder what I have in my envelope that I can give, because I've been systematically putting back in my love offering for Jesus to give to things like this. I'm preparing my gift in advance, all right? I think that's simple enough. That's something people can do. And, uh, and I think that works, that works for us. Maybe it will work for you. Secondly, in order to be more cheerful and more generous in my giving, I will acknowledge God's principle or promise about giving. I will acknowledge His promise about giving. Look with me at verse 6, because verse 6 tells us, if we sow sparingly, God will reward us how, everybody? Sparingly. But if we sow bountifully, he will reward us how? Bountifully. Compare that with Luke chapter 6 verse 38 where Jesus said, Give and it will be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will it be put into your bosom. For with the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Uh, Man, the last few days, and don't hold me accountable to all this, because I would say I've been a failure at this, and you can tell by looking, but I've been trying to count calories. I don't advise it, but if God's put it in your heart that you need to, and so I'm counting calories, and so I have this app, you know, that you put in what you're eating, and it'll even try to look up where you're getting it from. So, well, this was diced seasoned chicken for the salad. And... um, I, I measured it out, you know, I don't know if it's a half a cup or a cup. And I measured it out, and I thought, boy, that doesn't look like much. So what did I do? Press down. I'm packing it in there because the more I get in that cup, the more, well, unfortunately, this promise holds true when it comes to weight loss. You press it down and, and put it in there and pack it in there, and do it bountifully, it comes back to you bountifully too, okay? You're still wearing it, right? And anyway, but it was a good way to cheat on my calories, but um, I'm still wearing it, unfortunately, I'm sure. All right, give and it will be given to you. When God presses it down, good measure means he's not measuring so much. He's looking at your heart. He's looking at what you could give. You gave bountifully. He just returns it bountifully in so many different kinds of ways. And so he measures it back to you with the same heart that you used when you measured it out for whatever you gave to. Now, here's, here's something that comes up. Uh, I just can't give to that, you might say. I can't give what other people are able to give. I can't give like other people might be able to give. And we know that when times like that come around, what do we feel? We feel a sense of guilt. We feel discouraged when we can't give what we know other people are able to give. Well, some fellows were sitting by the offering uh, one time and 
and they were making comments and noticing or at least thinking in their hearts about what this little old lady came and gave because when they gave in those trumpet vials, those coins would drop down. You could hear the amount of money they put in there. Well, this barely made a ting because she put two mites in. And Jesus made a comment about that. He said, look, she didn't put in much, but the truth is I know what she gave. She gave every dime she had. Those two little mites was all she had, and she still gave it. And by comparison, what was he saying? She gave bountifully to the ministry of the temple. She gave bountifully, and God was going to bless her for it. You know what's cool is we'll get to meet her someday. Isn't that cool? The little two-mite lady, we're going to meet her someday. And I'm telling you this, her mansion's going to be pretty good. Be pretty good. It's not about the amount. Everybody say that with me. It's not about the amount. It's not about the dollar amount, right? It's about the proportionate amount. The proportion. God knows the amount of sacrifice it takes for you to give versus someone else to give. And so what do you have to do? You have to ignore everybody else. Ignore what everyone else is able to do and what they're doing and focus on what God wants you to give and the sacrifice He has put in your heart to make if He's wanting you to give to this uh, whatever offering it is at all. You mean He may not want me to give? Absolutely. He may not want you to give. He may not put it in your heart to give to that. So here's the third thing. I'll consider my motivation for giving. Verse 7. I've got to hurry. I'll consider my motivation, or maybe I will check my motivation for giving. Verse 7, we're to give as we purpose in our heart to give. We're to give as we have purposed in our heart. In other words, we evaluate it. We want to know, is this, why am I feeling like I should give? Is it because I'm feeling pressure to give? The preacher's putting pressure on us. Or I see somebody else giving, the pressure's there. And I don't really have it in my heart to support this thing. Well, you evaluate it and you see if God's put it in your heart and then you act on it. Instead of giving out of compulsion or pressure. This is scriptural. Not grudgingly. In other words, don't give outwardly. If you're complaining about giving, don't give it. If you're complaining, if it's a drudgery, if you're saying there's no way, but if in your heart you're going, I want to give this, I just don't have it, maybe God will supply my other needs if I will. That's something you've got to, that's a step of faith you've got to take with God sometimes. What's that? Maybe that's God putting that in your heart to go ahead and carry through with your gift, knowing that He's saying, I'm going to provide. What you need, after you give that, I'm still going to come through. You know, so that's, it does take a step of faith sometimes, but at least you know, do I have that in my heart, or do I just flat out not want to really support this thing? Well, if that's you, don't do it. You say, I've never had a preacher tell me don't give. Well, I'm not talking about the tithe. I'm talking about special gifts, free will gifts. You're obviously not wanting to give out of free will, and your free will is sometimes not give if you don't have it in your heart. But here's the key in verse 5 of chapter 8, where we were a while ago, about the Macedonians. Although they were poor, they desired to give. And verse 5 says, they gave themselves to it first. And then he said, and I think this is key, that it was by the will of God. That means God willed it. God put it in their heart to carry through with it. So they had it in their heart to do it. If God's put it in your heart to do it, then you have to determine... How much sacrifice does he want you to make as you give to it? Why is that so important? 
that God will it. Why is it so important that I have it purposed in my heart? Well, he says, because God loves a cheerful giver. A cheerful giver. And you want to be the giver, the cheerful giver of a generous gift. And generous doesn't have a dollar amount on it. Generous has a sacrificial uh, relation to it. You can be very generous in a small amount because of the amount of sacrifice it took for you to give it. Okay, last, in order to give more cheerfully and more generously, I will trust God to supply what he wants me to give. Look with me in chapter 9 again in verse 8. He says, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. So if God wills it, God will supply it. He is able. He's able to make all grace abound toward you so that having all sufficiency in all things, you may have an abundance for every good work. God's going to supply so that I can give in that offering. God's going to supply so that I can help support this. God's going to supply so that I can do those things. If God doesn't supply, I won't be able to do it. If God supplies and gives me sufficiency in these things, I can do it. I can do it. It comes from God. If God doesn't provide it, you can't give it. If you cannot give it, you should not feel guilty about not being able to give it. Guilt-free giving. Guilt-free giving. If you're feeling guilty about something you absolutely cannot do, that's the enemy making you feel guilty. That's called demonic oppression. And what do you do? You say, in the name of Jesus, leave. That's what you do. Jesus does not beat his people up. He gives to his people so that they can give or puts it in their hearts so that they can give. And if he doesn't, then you cannot give to that specific thing. There are occasions where people cannot give because they've mishandled what God has given them. And that's for a different sermon. So what do I do, though? Then I've got to start handling it properly, get rid of that debt, because that debt's preventing me from giving with the right kind of heart. I'm giving begrudgingly because I'm paying my money to pay off interest and debt to things I wanted and could not wait for. Not talking about something breaking down you had to have fixed. I'm talking about things you wanted, couldn't pay for at the time, you got it anyway. I like what my old seminary professor said. He said, if your outflow exceeds your income, then your upkeep will be your downfall. If your outflow exceeds your income then your upkeep on those things is going to lead to your downfall. How many four-wheelers do you really need in a home? How many of them are being ridden during the week? You know, how, how many do you really need? Train a cow, get on it, ride it around. I mean, you know, okay, that doesn't work. I'm a city boy. Okay, I get it. Y'all get what I'm saying. I should stick with my notes. All right, let me get on with my notes. Give give me an amen, somebody. All right, I'm going to stay with my notes. You encourage me. Just imagine what a church full of givers could do to make a difference for Christ. Imagine what a church with a heart for giving can do for Christ. And I believe this church has a great heart for giving. 
I do believe this church does. I don't believe everybody in the church takes part in giving. Okay? And so that's why I think this challenge, this reminder is good for all of us. I want to let you see this video. I just, what an encouraging video. Go ahead and show it, Marvin. You know how sometimes it feels like life just happens? You know, just random things seem to fill your day. Things with little or no consequence to anyone else. I mean, I know God's in control of my life, but I never really saw how much he was weaving my story with other people's stories. And really, into his story. Well, that's all changed. It was a cold day, Calvin, you really don't want to have some long conversation outside with someone especially with someone you don't really know. But that's exactly what God had in mind. Amy and I had just eaten lunch at Duffins downtown Franklin, and we were walking in the car and we see this couple that I thought I recognized from church. It would have been awkward just to walk by and not say anything, so we stopped and said, hey, and did the whole, yeah, yeah, you guys go to fellowship thing, whatever. Well, we start talking and the whole Dave Ramsey thing comes up. They asked us where we were in the process, and I told them that so far we paid off $60,000 and still had $10,000 left to go. They asked us what we would do when we were debt free. I laughed and told them, well, I told my kids I'd buy them a trampoline, but we really wanted to adopt, and we committed to being debt free before we did. The whole conversation only lasted about three minutes. It was like, nice to meet you. That was random. Well, the next day, that random person shows up at my office with this brand new trampoline. I couldn't believe it. It was like, my kids are going to freak. I set it up that night, and my kids jumped on that thing for four hours. I mean, we didn't even know these people. They didn't have to do that. I mean, really, that's pretty generous. Well, the next day, I get an email from the same lady saying, you guys seem like a sharp couple and we'd love to come by and talk to you about something. I emailed her back and said, that sounds like a multi-level marketing proposal. And if it was, we really weren't interested. Of course, she said it's not that sort of deal. She was really persistent. She even called Amy. Amy had been sick and it really wasn't a great time to have company over. Her house is a wreck and we didn't feel like picking it up. She said everything short of, please don't come over to my house. So they show up and I'm like, here we go. Let's get this over with. Don't say yes to anything. I couldn't believe they sent their claws into us with that trampoline to get us involved in some pyramid scheme. Anyway, so we small talk for about five minutes and then right when I thought they were about to drop the bomb, they did. But it wasn't the bomb I was expecting. So the lady says, well, we told you we don't need a few minutes and I really don't know how to say this, but we want to pay off your $10,000 left in debt so you guys can adopt. She pulls out her checkbook and goes, how do you spell your guy's name? What, are you kidding me? Are you for real? I mean, who does that? Who writes somebody a check for $10,000 and gives it to people they don't even know? So they give us a check and they said, just don't act weird around the church and just don't tell anybody it was us. And they drove off. I mean, Amy and I stood there for 10 minutes in total shock. And we cried, we screamed, and we ran all over the yard in the house. Unbelievable. I mean, seriously, it was beyond belief. We realized not much later when we brought Malaya home, 
The check they wrote us was dated nine months prior to Malay's D-Day. They gave us that money right about the time our daughter was conceived. It was like God was saying, I have a baby out there for you right now. I'm not waiting around another two years for you to pay off that debt. We felt called to adopt, but we simply couldn't afford to do it on our own. We found that this random couple had already adopted four children and felt the calling to continue to serve through adoption. Rather than bringing more children into their home, they decided to help others adopt. It didn't just happen. It wasn't random at all. God made his plan. He had just invited us to walk with him through this process. He was weaving our callings our stories together for us to love and care for each other to make a beautiful tapestry for His glory. Thank you, Jesus. That's just really neat. I just love that story, you know, and I like what he says. It's like this, it's not random. It's part of God's greater tapestry of things. Kind of reminds me of Ravi Zacharias' book, The Grand Weaver. And how he just he weaves things together for his greater purpose. And, and how that couple had already had four children. And they didn't want to adopt any more kids. They didn't want to bring any more kids in their home. But they wanted to continue, continue that. They had it in their heart. The couple had it in their heart. They were taking steps so that they could fulfill what God had put in their heart. By trying to get out of debt. And then God blessed it through who? Other people that had it in their heart to be a blessing in this same kind of way it's just it's and i don't know why we get surprised it's just the way god works because last week we said god has a way and doesn't he have a way he always has a way good friend jack gardner always told me this many of you know him plan your work then work your plan plan your work work your plan i would say plan your giving then give as planned plan your giving then give as planned, always allowing room for God to interrupt your plan and make it His. What an awesome thing if God's people all just really understood His promise and His principles for giving. You cannot outgive the Lord. You just simply cannot. 